Thanks, band of angels. I really thought the Holy Spirit was working a lot when I came in and saw these young couples sitting around the front row. I thought Easter really worked this year in an unusual way. Fat chance. All it takes is little kids up there, you know? Good morning. Welcome. We're glad you're here this morning. Please take a moment to fill out a connection card, if you would, and put that in the basket that was passed later this morning. We appreciate your help and uh, hope you come back to be with us. Today is starting point at, at 12.15 in the Hub. If you're new to us, we'd love to get to know you better. We hope you want to get to know us better. And uh, we'll be done by 1.30 or a little after today. And, you know, it's a free lunch. What do you have to lose? Nothing. And uh, so we hope if, if you're new to us, you'd come back for lunch today. I think that over. We're here to love the Lord together and, uh, and to learn from God's Word. Let's pray as we go on. Our Father in heaven, thank you for being the Lord of our lives, the one who gives us strength, the one who upholds us. You are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of gaining our full attention and our deepest surrender in life. And I pray today we'll draw a little bit nearer your heart and take you at your word and love you implicitly as Lord of life. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in 1 Peter chapter 1 today. Last week, of course, we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, but that has a, that has a lot of pieces to it. It's not just that the tomb is empty, that we gather together, but our whole life realm has changed. Nothing is the same once Jesus Christ is Lord. Uh, the, the, one of the most sacred uh, symbols in our nation uh, is found in Oklahoma City, and it's a tree. It's an 80-year-old American elm, which tourists drive from, from miles around to see. It's treasured not because of her appearance, but because of her endurance. It was on August, or April 19th of 1995 that Timothy McVeigh and Terry Nichols planned their terrorist move of bombing the federal building there in which 168 people were killed and more than 600 were injured. That tree is called the survivor tree. I've known a lot of people in my life, as you have, and read about them, as you have, uh, that would be known as survivors, that they have risen above all kinds of terrible odds to continue just living life. But I want you to know that the people we're meeting in the scriptures today in the book of 1 Peter are more than survivors. They are thriving in the midst of all kinds of tragic things going on in their lives. This is what uh, Peter writes to them. And when he writes this, it's about 30-some years after the resurrection. And the church is being bombarded by every side because of its opponents, uh, the opponents of the gospel. Verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in his great mercy has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed at the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you've not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you, are, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. 
for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This passage is about a lot of things. I could spend the next three months on a sermon series or keep you till this time tomorrow working through all of this. Peter is encouraging these believers of the first century are going through all kinds of pains. He encourages all of us in the midst of a fragile world on how, how to navigate it all and how to live well. In fact, how to live a large life in spite of anything that might be railing against you. It's all about hope. Let me tell you about hope today, according to Peter. First of all, we have the necessity of a living hope. He says we're born again into a living hope. And later on in the verse, in this passage, he says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of troubles. Their homes were being plundered. They were being put in prison. They were scattered everywhere because of the bloodthirsty Nero who was on his throne. Historians tell us that Emperor Nero would would burn Christians alive in his gardens at night just to light them. He was was a heartless person. And this is is what the believers were living in, and that's why they were scattered in many places. Viktor Frankl was a Jewish psychoanalyst that survived Auschwitz during the Holocaust. And he found it intriguing to study people and their various kinds of suffering. He said, basically, people suffered through Auschwitz in four different ways. Some people became brutal because of the brutality that was coming toward them. So they responded in like manner. Some grew very cynical about life and about people around them or whatever. Uh, There was a third group of people that lived for the day when they gained their freedom back, when they, when they would have their health back, when they could be back with their families. But he said, in the, in the big picture, after the Holocaust, those weren't the people that did the best. There was a fourth group of people, and he said, those were the people that had a touch with the infinite beyond this life. Those who went back to their former life were disappointed because it wasn't as, as grand as they had remembered and wanted it to be. Maybe because of all the scars they brought back to them. But those who had a picture of life beyond this world, who had a touch with God beyond the material, those are the ones that were the best survivors, and they actually thrived in the midst of all the, all the suffering they went through. Suffering shakes the foundations of our lives if Jesus Christ isn't the rock. If he's not the one, if he's not the place he's supposed to be, everything, everything fails, and we know that cognitively, but we lose, lose sight of that. I mean, if, 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 if you think your spouse is the one that's going to be there for you, and just look at your wedding pictures. He's fading, women. She's changing, all right? Uh, we, we all change. If you think your kids, you're such a tight family, and you live for your kids, you think they're going to stick around when they get a great job offer in Washington State, they're out of here. That's how devoted they're going to be to you. I mean, that's just how it is. Everything falls apart. We need something more substantial. Live long enough and watch everything fade away, even our bodies. This is the, we need a living hope. Second, we have the operation of a living hope. Here is the stunning picture of the Christian life in verses 6 and 7. And this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Now, there is an interesting paradox that exists when we deal with suffering. There's the, the, first of all, the sorrow increases the joy. Sorrow increases the joy. The, the text says they were rejoicing, not just rejoicing, but there was great rejoicing. 
And he says it in a way, the tense is such, that this is what they are experiencing right now. Now, this, this term suffering grief, the Greek word is lepeo. It's the same word that Jesus uses in the Garden of Gethsemane when he's facing the cross, when he prays, my soul is sorrowful even unto death. Sorrowful. What, what, what Jesus was saying, I am crushed with sorrow. Peter is saying, you are greatly rejoicing while crying out in pain. Now, that's not typically how we think. We usually think, well, I was rejoicing, now I'm suffering. Or I'm really suffering right now, and I can't wait till I can be rejoicing again. We don't typically think of rejoicing and suffering going together. But that's exactly what Peter is saying here that these people are being filled with great joy while experiencing real sorrow. That sounds absolutely nuts. It doesn't make sense. In fact, you know, we sing a song in here, we used to, I don't know if we sing it anymore. Remember, I'm trading my sorrows. I'm trading my sorrows for the joy of the Lord. In other words, it's opposite of what Peter is writing here, that we get one or the other. We'll stay in our sorrow, or I'll forget about it, like deny it, and get the joy, or I'll endure it. No. What Peter is saying, right in the midst of suffering, whatever grief you may be going through, whatever challenge, in the middle of it, you can still be a person of joy. Our suffering drives us more deeply into Jesus Christ. And so he writes, these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, honor. So what happens, your, your faith gets refined. That's what happens when we go through all kinds of life difficulties. Now, here's the other part of the paradox. The joy increases, or the sorrow increases the joy. Second, the joy enables the sorrow. The joy enables the sorrow. You know, um, often suffering brings anger or indifference. Often it does. Like your girlfriend broke up with you. You're devastated. Uh, I, I hate women. and I hate all women. You know, so we, we have this anger. Or you get put in for a promotion and you don't get it. Oh, I hate this company anyway. I never wanted to work for them to begin with. And so you just kind of revert to this anger and angst that goes on. You pout about life and everything. Or you just get indifferent. You know, you, you put in to get a mortgage on a house and it doesn't go through. Well, I, I, I wasn't sure I wanted to buy a house. No, I really like apartment living, you know. And so you just kind of go cold, cold to life. It happens. You know, that, that doesn't get us anywhere. Um, in Jesus Christ, we have a joy that lets us accept the sorrow for what it is. It allows us to grieve, to accept the pain, and nevertheless... Walk with Christ to the point that he makes you better. He makes you wiser. He, he takes you somewhere, and you look at yourself and say, how can, this, how can I be living this way when my life isn't going like I want it? In fact, I'm so sad. I am I'm grieving, and yet I do everything I'm supposed to do. I'm with people. I can navigate this. I'm not happy about my situation, but there's an inner joy. There's a, there's a stability in life that's not being shaken. That's the joy of the Lord. See, they, they help each other. Sorrow is expressed in the context of Jesus Christ's love for you. So the, soul, the sorrow increases the joy, and the joy enables the sorrow. It's an amazing thing how it works when you have a living hope in Jesus Christ. Third, we have the reception of a living hope. How do you get it? Well, verse 3 started, we are born again into a living hope. Jesus first mentioned this idea of being born again, of course, to Nicodemus, who was a 
you know, a top uh, Jewish leader who recognized something unique about Jesus. And Jesus, unless you're born again, you're not, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. You can't enter the kingdom of God unless you're born heaven, unless you're born of water and spirit. Now Nicodemus couldn't do that right then if he wanted to, but Jesus introduced this whole idea of starting over, of getting a clean slate. And it's more than just the fact when we become Christians that our sins are washed away. The truth of the matter is, the Bible tells us the truth that without that cleansing, we are orphans. We have nowhere to really belong and call a safe place to call home. We are on our own in life with no anchor, no help, no foundation. So once we're orphans, but when we're born again, we get to belong. We get to belong to our creator. We're restored with him. Not only that, but the Bible says we're lost. Now, before you're a Christian, you don't necessarily feel you're lost. You don't know you're lost. Now, some people feel lost, but many people don't feel lost. You talk to unbelievers in the world, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. Got a good job. Got a good family. Got nice 1.7 kids and, you know, my, no weeds right now. You know, everything's going fine. And so you don't, you're not necessarily aware of lostness, but there's something about meeting Jesus when you understand the truth of the Bible, what it says about ourselves, that you start seeing the truth, a truth about life. It really went, and, I tell you, and you've all experienced it, many of you, most of you experienced it. Once you're alive in Christ, man, I really was lost, and I didn't know it. And I was dead. I thought I was alive, but I was dead until I really came to Christ and realized there was something more. So this is what Paul says to the Roman believers. He says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. He talks about two deaths, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and my death, burial, and resurrection. It happens when we're baptized into Christ. That's why we urge you to be reconciled to the Father through Jesus in your baptism when the blood of Christ cleanses you. Now, you know, uh, they warn us everywhere on the news now and in paper, the paper and the, and the radio advertising of identity theft. I always laugh at that because I'm thinking, you really don't want my identity. You can get it. If you want it, you can have it. It's fine. But really, you're not getting that much with me. Uh, and, and when it comes to identity theft... It is a cyber crime. It's serious. I realize that. But you know what happens in Jesus Christ? It's not identity theft. It's identity gift. And when we are born again in Jesus Christ, he gives you and me a new identity. And I'm no longer, I'm no longer under the wrath of God, but I'm under, under the canopy of God's grace. And nothing is the same. He gives me a new reason to get up. He gives me a new identity. I'm a new me. I'm the person. I'm free to become the person I was created to be to begin with. So if you have not been united with Christ in baptism, please, please listen to the scripture and take care of this so you can be on your way to what God has for you. Verses five, 4 and 5 say, we are born again into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade this inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So we get this inheritance. We give, get this imperishable inheritance and an imperishable inheritance that is kept for us. Now, what do you have in your life that is like that? Is there anything in your life that you think is yours forever. I mean, nothing is. Nothing is. It's all frail. It's fading away. Nothing is unquestioningly safe. This band of angels up here, 
You know, it's more than them singing nice little songs on a Sunday morning church service. What's being planted in them are truths to carry them through all the suffering and grief of life yet to come, and ultimately so they get an inheritance with, for them forever. You understand that? This isn't just a cute thing that kids are doing in church. Their foundation is being laid for life. What a responsibility and what a joy to prepare them so that we can propel them in this journey. Verse 7, these have come so that the sufferings have come, so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result praise, glory, honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now, when you read that, when you look at that verse, may result in praise, glory, and honor. When you read that, it sounds like, okay, Jesus is going to come back, and when we do that, and when he comes, uh, we're going to praise him and give him glory and honor. You know, I, I, I've checked this out. Many scholars who understand Greek and forming and all that more than I do. I don't get all that stuff, but, but, but many, many do. This is not saying praise, honor, and glory of Jesus. It's praise, glory, and honor from Jesus. In other words, when we are found faithful to the end through all kinds of grief, what's it result in? I mean, this is the power of the cross. When Jesus was dying on the cross, everything that you and I deserve was heaped on him. God treated him like we should have been treated. All his punishment, all the, 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 the horror of hell, the forsakenness, the aloneness, that was all heaped upon him so that when Christ comes back, what happens? It all results that we are given praise, honor, and glory instead. All that, do you get that today? That you receive from Jesus ultimately all that because he took all that you deserved and I deserved on himself. What a savior. What a Lord. Why would we not want to give him our best in view of that? Because he said in John 17, I want you to love them even as you love me. And this is how God loves his own son, Jesus. By today, put him in his right hand, giving him all power, glory, and honor. We get that. When Jesus comes back, what a savior. The activation of the living hope. Now, many of you, I know, are in a grieving time. You're in a disappointing time. You know, our story has been in the news, unfortunately, for a few months. So you know our disappointments. You know what we've been through the last couple of years and the hurts that we've had as well. These, there are all kinds of grieving times, all kinds of hurts. But friends, we gather because... because and I want to say this as, as honestly as I want to say, this is more than just, just hold on. Because, you know, uh, my family line has good blood. I could be, my parents lived to their 90s. That means I've got some good years coming yet. I know I'm a lot older than a lot of you, but my best years may yet to be. Who knows? Uh, I, I want to do more than just hold on and grit my teeth. I mean, if I just have to hold on, that's just, that doesn't do it for me. He says here, verse 8, though you've not seen him, you love him, and you rejoice with joy inexpressible and glorious. Now, friends, this is it. Being a Christian is not, you know, I really need to go to church a little more often. You know, I, I, yeah, I should read my Bible. I'm not doing this anyway. I should read my Bible. And yeah, I pray a little bit. You know, you know. And so we mumble our way through. And I want to tell you today, you could, you could go to church every week, 
And you can read your Bible every day, which you should. You should do both those things. It should be a priority in your life. But you know, you can do those things and never really stare in the face of Jesus, simply loving him. That's what he says. You love him. Because we love him, all these other peripherals are very valuable to us. Worshiping in the body of Christ and being in life groups together and studying the word and, 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 and being involved in service to one another and to our community. All that's so valuable. But it's an outgrowth of first loving him face to face. Do you get that today? You have to love him. He's the first. This, the Hebrews 12 says this basically. This is summarized. For the joy that was set before him, he ran the race, endured the cross, and despised the shame. This was Jesus Christ's living hope. What was his living hope? What was his true living hope? It's really found in Isaiah 53. This is what it says. The results of his suffering he will see, and he will be satisfied, for my servant will justify many. Now, I want you to read that out loud with me, but instead of that last word, many, I want you to say me. All right, here we go. The results of his suffering he will see, and he will be satisfied, for my servant will justify me. Now, that, I know that didn't say it right, but, 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 but the, the point is, why did Jesus do what he did? Because he saw you. He justified you. In view of that, that was his joy. His living hope was the day when he would see you and me gathered around his father's throne. He loves you that much. Do you understand that today? Do you have an iota of a thought does that move your heart that God has loved me that much? Why should he do that? I don't know, except for the fact that we are created in his image and he's crazy about you. So when we finally get there, it's nothing about our efforts. It's all about God making it possible that we can be there by the blood of his son. You see, it's only him. That's what it's about. And every eye will see him. People have been gathered together for 2,000 years or so. Not to say, the stock market has risen it is risen indeed. The GNP has risen. It is risen indeed. Praise God. I got my kids risen. They are risen indeed. Praise God. One reason. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And because of that, today we have a living hope, friends. Don't miss the living hope. He takes our suffering. He blends it with his living hope. And I tell you, you thrive through the course of your life. He is worthy of our worship. Let's stand and do that right now.